Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Across the story of Scripture, God consistently puts himself on the side of the lowly. God establishes a covenant with Abraham, beginning in Genesis chapter 12, and continues that covenant with his son Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons, and God surprisingly, instead of continuing that covenant through his older son Esau, he chooses to continue that covenant through his younger son, Jacob. Over the course of centuries, uh, Jacob's descendants wind up enslaved in Egypt, the most powerful empire on the face of the earth at its time. And yet, despite their lowly status, despite the fact that they are repressed, despite the fact that they can't save themselves at all, God delivers them. God leads them into the land that he had promised to give to, his, to their ancestor, to Abraham. God does all of this in spite of the fact that the nation of Israel is at the bottom of the world's totem pole in its day. God does it because he cares for the lowly. As God is preparing his people to enter into that promised land that he had promised to give to them, he gives them his law, instructing them on what it means to live as his people, how he has called them to exist in the world. And he says to them throughout his law in various places, he advises them to care for the lowly. We have passages like Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10, where God says to his people, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. God calls his people to not be motivated by profit, by getting as big of harvest as you can. He calls his people to be motivated to care for the lowly. There are passages like Deuteronomy 24, verses 17 and 18, where Moses says to the people, he says, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of, judge, of justice, or take the cloak of, a widow, of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. God cares for the lowly. And as he calls his people into a relationship with him, he expects them to do the same. The nation of Israel grows and develops, and we continue to see God take a special interest on those, in those on the lower rungs of society. In our adult Sunday school class, last week we finished making our way through the book of Ruth. And that is just one story told across those four chapters of God caring for two widows, Ruth and Naomi, who have no hope apart from the provision of God. And we see God care for them time and time again. If we keep reading in the narrative of Scripture, we get to the book of 1 Samuel, which begins by telling us about a woman named Hannah, who, who fears the Lord, who follows him, and yet she's uh, unable to have children. And because of her inability to have children, she is, she's mocked, she's shamed by those uh, around her. And yet, eventually, she is able to have a child. And she devotes that child to the Lord. She dedicates him to service 
before God. And after that dedication, she offers a song of celebration in 1 Samuel chapter 2. She praises God for lifting her up. For, she praises God for who he is, for what he's done, for the fact that he has power over all things. Hannah was lowly, and yet the God who holds power over all has cared for her and lifted her up. We keep reading, and, and that, that boy Samuel grows up and is a leader over the nation of Israel, and as he nears the end of his life, God sends him to the house of a man named Jesse and tells him that he is going to anoint the next king over Israel. And Samuel gets to Jesse's home, and uh, Jesse's sons come out. He's the oldest son. He, he's big and strong and good-looking, and Samuel assumes this has to be the guy that God has chosen to be the next king over Israel. And yet, God says to him in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel eventually discovers that, in fact, God has chosen the youngest of Jesse's sons, David, the lowest in his family, to be king over his people. God cares for the lowly. And we could go on and on and find example after example of God not operating on the terms we would expect. God choosing the person of lower status instead of higher status. God choosing to work through the person everyone thinks is too young or too old to be of any value caring for the vulnerable who have no one else to care for them and calling his people to do the same, looking after the ones everyone else has forgotten. And if this is how God works time and time again across the story of Scripture, it maybe should not shock us that when we turn to the Christmas story, we find God doing the same thing again. In our world of social media profiles where everyone can perfectly curate their presentation of themselves to the world around them so that they can build up their own brand, uh, create a platform for themselves, the story of Christmas, the birth of Christ, does anything but that. Typically, when, when kings would have children in the ancient world, it was a huge deal. Messengers were sent throughout the empire to announce the good news of the birth of a child calendars would be reset, time would be marked off, starting with the birth of the king. That does not happen at the birth of Christ. He's not born to great fanfare. He is born in a backwater of the Roman Empire to a people living under foreign oppression. And as he has done time and time again since the beginning, God forsakes the flashy, the exciting, the grabbing for the lowly. Our God is a God who loves the lowly and works through the lowly to demonstrate his love to the entire world. Jesus was not born into comfort and luxury, which he easily could have chosen. He's not born into a wealthy family that enjoys high status and favor in their community. He's born to a poor, young, engaged couple and his arrival would not have been considered a great thing to celebrate for, for the community around his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. We know that since Mary is engaged to be married when all of this takes place, that in all likelihood she probably would have been a teenager. And the news that she became pregnant before she was married 
would have been shocking. It would have been shameful for her and for, for Joseph as well. Matthew 1, 18 to 21 tells us that this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. If Joseph had decided to drag Mary out in the town square and have her stoned to death for becoming pregnant before they were married, no one in the world around them would have batted an eye. And yet Joseph chooses to take her and this son, Jesus, in as his own. But just because Joseph does that, decides to shield her from that shame, that disgrace, not expose her to what would have been expected in their world, it, it does not mean that questions are not asked. Plenty of raised eyebrows, plenty of rumors swirling. Did, did you hear about Joseph and Mary? Yeah, weren't they supposed to get married next year? Yeah, I thought so, but I don't know. Now it, they say Mary's pregnant. They, they say it's, it's all fine. They say they haven't done anything wrong. They, they, they actually are saying that this is the work of God, but I mean, come on. Mary was fairly low on the rungs of society before all this started, and and now, as the baby grows, as her stomach continues to show, she continues to be pushed further and further down the social ladder. And yet, God continues to work. In the midst of her pregnancy, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who is pregnant with John the Baptist at this time. Two pregnant women, one pregnant far too early, one pregnant far too late, both being used by the God who works through the lowly in ways that usually seem strange to our eyes. Luke tells us that as Mary walks into the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She cries out to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed are you among women. Not shamed, not ostracized, not cast aside, not, not deserving of death. Blessed. What the world sees as unworthy, God sees as blessed. What the world looks at as lowly, God looks at as the means through which he will deliver salvation to the entire world. God sends his son into the world through lowly means. And in recognition of that, in response to the words of Elizabeth that we just read, Mary voices the song that is our text this morning, Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. 
His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. God is worthy of praise. God has done incredible things and uses Mary to accomplish those things, and therefore she offers praise to God. And I don't know if that surprises you or not, but if I can be totally transparent, it it surprises me a little bit. Uh, At least in my mind, you would think that in the midst of all of this, Mary's like maybe somewhere between scared out of her mind and excited. She's like kind of on the fence between those two. And and this proclamation from Elizabeth, it maybe swings her a little bit closer to excited, but not all the way. And And I'm grateful that Mary doesn't think like I think. She launches full force into praising God. Straight into proclaiming that God is a Savior, that He redeems those who have no hope apart from Him, that He is the Mighty One. He is able to save all people because of His power over all things. That He is holy, set apart from the rest of creation. That He is merciful, that He treats us, not as our sins deserve, but he shows love to his people. And all of this praise is offered to God for who he is and for what he's done. But as she continues, we see Mary offer praise to God, not just for specific traits, not specific qualities of his nature, but for how he has revealed himself. One of the key ways highlighted in these verses is that God is worthy of praise because he cares for the lowly. There in verses 51 to 53, she says in a couple different ways that God does mighty things for the lowly, that he opposes those who are, who are powerful, who are proud, those who trust in themselves, those who think they can figure things out on their own and don't need God. There in verse 54, he says that he helps his people. He remembers them. He's merciful to them. That word for remember is a little more significant than we than we think it might be most of the time. Across the Old Testament, it is used to describe when God shows up to act, when God answers the prayers of his people, when he arrives to deliver his people out of their suffering. And Mary is able to trust in God because God is a God who remembers. Not just a God that has a really good memory, but a God that does not forget his people. A God who is faithful to the promises he has made to them. A God who shows up so that he might save his people out of their suffering. Our God is a God who remembers the lowly. And that continues to be demonstrated during the ministry of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke focuses heavily, more so than the other Gospels, on the care Jesus has for those that no one else cares for. Luke is the Gospel that records stories Jesus tells that we remember, stories like the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus shows us that his people are called to love all people regardless of their background, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of whatever else might be true about them, God's people are called to love them. Luke records stories told by Jesus like the parable of the prodigal son, where a son rejects his father and runs away and, and tries to live life on his own and after a time realizes that he has made a mistake. 
and comes home hoping that maybe his father will accept him back into their household as a servant. And right at the part of the story where we would expect the son to be beaten for having shamed and dishonored his entire family, he is embraced. He's restored to a place of honor. He's celebrated. Because despite the fact that he had wandered away, he's come home. God loves the lowly. Jesus demonstrates that time and time again during his ministry. And I cannot help but wonder if at least part of the reason that shows up so often is because of the influence of his mother. As she was influenced by the God who reveals himself time and time again to be invested in the lowly. Jesus' mother had been ostracized, shamed, cast out because she had given birth to him. So maybe it should not surprise us that that since this is where Jesus' life begins, that as he grows up, as he ministers to the world around him, he has concern for the ostracized, the shamed, the outcast, people who are in the same situation that his mother had been in at his birth. And this theme continues as we keep reading in the New Testament. If we look at the book of James, we see the half-brother of Jesus telling us in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James continues over in chapter 2 and says that God's people should not uh, I got sidetracked in my notes. That God has, God's people should not show favoritism, should not value uh, wealthy people more than, un, than people who are lower on the rungs of society because God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised of him. If you read the words of James chapter 2 alongside the words of Mary there in Luke chapter 1, maybe should not surprise us all that much that we find parallels between the two. This theme of God loving the lowly is essential for our understanding of who Jesus is and how he has called us to follow him. God's worthy of our praise because of his love for the lowly, and he's worthy of praise for his faithfulness. And I think that's an important compliment to what this song has to say, what Mary's words here have to say about God's love for the lowly. If God cares about people who are lowly, who are vulnerable, who, uh, but is not faithful, then he is not a good caretaker. Maybe he's forgetful. Maybe he's just not as interested as he claims to be. Whatever the case may be. But the fact that God is also faithful means that not only is he concerned about those who have no hope apart from him, but he is also able to do something about it. He will not forget his people when they suffer. God can be trusted. Even when the world around Mary might not look like the reality she's describing in these verses. Someone living in the first century listening to her words here might disagree with some of the details of what she says. I mean, yeah, sure, Mary, God, like, sure, the stories from the Old Testament happened. Yeah, God did all those things in the past. He performed mighty deeds. He scattered the proud. He brought down rulers. He sent the rich away empty, and he did all of that. Sure, we remember the stories, but that was a long time ago. King Herod's ruling over us now, and he claims to be the king of the Jews, but he's not even fully Jewish. 
The nation of, of Israel hasn't been its own nation in a long time. We're, we're living under the impression of the Roman Empire. How can you really say that God is doing all of these things now? We might ask the same questions today. How can we really take this meal of communion that we're going to take later in the service every week and proclaim that Jesus has defeated sin and death for all time when I still struggle with sin each and every day and when everywhere I look I'm reminded that all people eventually die? How can I really say that God cares for the lowly when I don't know how we're going to make ends meet this year and pay for all everything going on in the holidays? How am I going to actually believe that when I've got that empty seat at the table this year? When we find ourselves asking those questions in the midst of this season, we need to remind ourselves, we need to know this morning that the love of God is for us. That He is good, He is present, and He is faithful to His people. His love extends to you. And for that reason, we can be confident that His love will not abandon us in the midst of those difficulties. I mentioned already this morning that the Song of Mary sounds a lot like the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And we don't have time to walk through all those parallels this morning, although if you wanted to take the time this week and read those two, chapters, those two passages next to one another, you would notice a whole lot of parallels going on. But I think it's worth highlighting one difference between those two songs. Hannah's praise of God comes after she has given birth to Samuel. Mary's praise of God comes before Jesus is born. Hannah's prayer comes as a thanksgiving, a response, giving thanks for what God has already done that has been completed. Mary's song comes with expectation, looking forward to when God will fulfill what he has promised, confident that everything he has said will come to fruition. And that confidence is possible because of the love of God made known to us in the arrival of Jesus. The faithfulness of God in the past ensures that God will be faithful in the future. Mary's not out in left field trying to figure things out on her own, just kind of making it up as she goes, as she gets this news that she'll give to Jesus. She's not just being dictated by her feelings in the moment. Mary sees stories like hers in the past in Scripture. She sees how God was faithful then to lowly people, even like her, and that gives her confidence that He will be faithful in the present. And as we read those stories in the Old Testament, as we read Mary's story now, it gives us the opportunity to experience the same thing. We can see how God has been faithful, even to people like Mary, and know that if it is true that he was faithful in the past, then surely he will also be faithful now. More than that, if God loves us enough that he was willing to send his only son into this world in order that our relationship with him might be restored then surely also He loves us enough to walk us through whatever we might endure, even this time of year. God has drawn near to us in Christ, and therefore we can be confident that He will not walk away as we draw near to Him now. The love of God is expressed to us when we recognize our lowly status before Him. Not that we have to be lowly before God is able to show his love to us, but when we recognize the reality that we have nothing apart from God, and therefore we can only be lifted up when we lower ourselves before him. 
God is on the side of the lowly. He's even on the side of us. And when we recognize that, we see that he is worthy of all of our praise. He is drawn near to us so that we might lift up the lowly into an experience of his love. And we get a little glimpse of what that looks like with Mary's choice of words there in verse 48. The New International Version that we read from says uh, that God has been mindful of her. In the original Greek, the word says that God has looked upon her. And I take the time to highlight that because it's a rare word. In fact, it only shows up one other time in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Jesus has a man come to him and ask Jesus if, if Jesus will look upon his son because his son needs healing, his son is suffering, needs someone to care for them. They have, they have no hope apart from the healing power of Jesus. It's a word of close attention. It's a word of intimacy. When you have a loved one who needs medical attention, you don't want the person that can help you to wander in, scan their charts, not answer any of your questions, and wander out. You want them involved. You want them to look closely at the situation and you want, so that they can bring healing. And that's what that father wants from Jesus when he comes to him in Luke chapter 9. And that's how Mary describes the action of God in sending his son into the world. That it means that God has looked upon us. That he has come near so that we might be made new. And that is how near God is to his people. That is how near God is to you and to me. God did not sit up in heaven and leave us to our own devices, he looked upon us. He sent his one and only son to be born of Mary so that our world might be redeemed. And that son was born into lowliness so that the lowly might be lifted up into the love of God. God has looked upon us so that we may know him. He remains present with his people now through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. As we enter into this week of Christmas, no matter what we might be going through right now, if we have God, we have what we need. Wherever God might be meeting you or calling you this Christmas season, we can trust in him. We can know that he's good. We can know that he's worthy of our praise and our worship. We can know that he will lift us up because he has made himself lowly so that lowly people like us might be lifted up into an experience of his love. And may we all get a glimpse of just how high and deep and wide that love is as we celebrate the birth of Christ this week. Let's pray. God, you're good. We thank you for the fact that Christ has come. And that our world, that we ourselves will never be the same because of that fact. We thank you that you did not abandon us, that, you, that Jesus came into the world to redeem us, to lift us up when we were lowly people, unable to save ourselves. Help us to focus deeply on that truth in the coming days especially this week where we celebrate your birth. Help us to remember that you came for us so that we might have life in you. And may we be transformed by that. And may we offer that message of love and life to a world around us that needs to hear it. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 